Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Boston Loose Baseball, Episode 3. Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, and our producer, Darius Dameron. We're pumped to be back at it. First of two episodes this week. We got this one dropping now and then come back Wednesday night into Thursday. Anytime after that, we'll have a brand new episode for you. Today, we're joined by Kevin Franzen, who is the new color commentator for the Washington Nationals on Masson with Bob Carpenter. Tells some great stories. Really funny guy. Guy we've... I've been working alongside in the media now for many years and remember as a player as well, Danny. Uh, just a grinder, a stud. He's taken to this role really, 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 really well, rather. And I want to make sure you guys know where to find this podcast. Odyssey app, Apple Pods, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, spread the word. We need help keeping this train on the tracks. Yeah, Darius will read our uh, comment of the week from someone who says something nice about the show or us because we need that kind of feedback. Uh, that's how we operate. We're like a car needs Very gas. Needy. We need those kinds of comments read to us to make sure that everything's going okay. Uh, on this podcast, we will break down Patrick Corbin's recent resurgence. How do we feel about the three home runs he gave up against the Astros, though? What in the heck is going on with Steven Strasburg, and will we see him again? Plus, of course, the Kevin Franzen conversation, studs and duds, and a little chatter on the Major League Baseball draft being two months away. It's all coming up, so let's get into it right now. Bustin' Loose Baseball. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, Episode 3. Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, our producer, Darius Dameron, coming at you live from our Half Street Studios, three blocks from the center field gate where the Nats are no longer playing because they are on the road, beginning a road trip in Miami. This podcast comes to you on Monday night as they play game one of a three-game set against the Fish. The D. Strange Gordon Revenge Tour is on, Danny. 6.40 East time, first pitch is that weird start time in Miami. For the next three days, then the boys are off. And then they're in Milwaukee for three against the Brewers before they come home to take on the Dodgers and the Rockies, little NL West tilts on a homestand. Get this podcast with the one we're listening to right now, wherever you get your podcast, right? Subscribe, review, rate, spread the word, helps us keep this thing going. But yeah, D. Strange Gordon had a nice little run down there in Miami, Florida at one point. I think he hit over 300 for his career down there in uh, in, in MIA. But uh, most recently, GP, the thing I wanted to address kind of at the start of the show is Patrick Corbin. I, I don't know how to quantify this. I don't know how to put this the right way here. So So bear with me. The expectations had gone so low that him being decent 
over the, his last four starts, including, you know, the, the stat line that wasn't that kind here his last time out. But overall, do you feel like he's turned a corner or is this just kind of, hey, if we could just get this forever, we'll be okay? Like, wh- where are we at on this? Because the expectations went down so, you know, into the into the pit of Carcoon that he's now rebounded and been fine of late, and we're kind of thrilled at that. Yeah, I think Patrick Corbin, the 2019 version of him that we fell in love with, that guy's probably gone forever. I don't think we're going to get that again. Those days are done. But what you're going to get is, hopefully, a competitive serviceable, back-of-the-rotation Major League Baseball starter. And he has been that over his last four outings, including his start against Houston on Sunday. His three starts before that were better. He had his lowest ERA, I think it was 2.37, that he's had in any three-start sample dating back to his 2019 run in Washington. But I actually liked what I saw from him on Sunday. If you look beyond just the box score and the numbers, he was scoreless through four. He ended up out-pitching Verlander, certainly through three innings of that game where he had barely thrown 30 pitches, and Verlander was up over 60. In the end, he gives up a home run in the fifth after a defensive miscue kind of turned around the inning and got him going sideways. Then he gave up a home run in the sixth as he ran out of some gas, a little two-run shot, and in the end gave up another home run in the seventh. So if he doesn't come out for that seventh inning, it's six innings, it's three earnings, it's a quality start, and we're talking about yet another good outing for Patrick Corbin. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I know he had been keeping the ball in the park. It's starting to get warmer. The ball's going to start traveling. And giving up three homers in this start does worry me, the second, third, and fourth of his season. But I think this is actually a a really good sign and really sustainable that at least his slider velocity is firm. It's back where it was prior to the last couple years. And he's no longer the worst pitcher in the league. Like, that's what he'd become. Now I think he might be a back-of-the-rotation guy for the rest of the season. The problem is he started an opening day, and he's kind of the linchpin of the rotation. <laughs> yeah, at this point, right? But but here's the way I, I kind of see this. If he goes – if he's this – for the next couple of seasons, even though it's a huge contract, that just turns into the normal, hey, you're paying a tax for a World Series, right? That happens in sports. It happens in baseball all the time. You pay a guy for his prime, and then you're holding the bag when he's 35, 36, 37 years old, and you know you just sort of deal with that because you got those prime years. You kind of have to wear that in terms of a contract. If he's a fourth or fifth starter, which is what this is over the, his last four starts, I'll take that because 2019 happened. They don't win a World Series without him. You had a couple rotten years in there. But overall, you you have a very pleasant Patrick Corbin experience when this is all said and done because he takes the ball every fifth day. He's always able to maybe – not always, but can, can be able to eat some innings and still be a useful major league contributor in theory when this group is ready to compete maybe, you know, God willing, next year, but really two years from now. He could be part of that, and that's something that's encouraging, right? So if you get this, this kind of remade, this 2.0 version uh, of Patrick Corbin, that's fine. I would certainly take that, I think, side unseen. Because I'm with you. I think the 2019 version doesn't exist. I don't think that guy's you know in the cards at any point. The hitters tell you the story, right? You look at the at-bats. You watch opponents against him. Last year and in 2020, they were really comfortable. There was no threat to them in the batter's box. You don't see those defensive swings. You see guys spitting on sliders that weren't even close, that start out of the zone and you know bounce or short hop or whatever it is. Now you get some of those swings and misses out of the zone because it looks like a strike for the majority of the time. It's playing off his fastball, which you know is never going to blow you away in terms of velocity, but that 92 gets sneakier when you've seen that slider, that slider snap off away from you if you're a lefty, down and in towards your back foot if you're a right-handed pit, uh, a batter. 
you're seeing the effectiveness come back in kind of the formula. Only thing that scares me, you touched on it, the home runs he's given up. He's given up a lot of fly ball outs, even in his last four starts as it's gone well. You know the trend here league-wide. It's that some of these balls are not flying the way they were before, unseasonably cold a couple different places. I mean, here in D.C., it was 40-some degrees in the middle of May a couple different times just last week. I worry that if that's a trend line that continues, you're going to start to see some of those balls carry out of the yard and some of the crooked numbers that were pretty bad that we've been talking about here might return. So I'm not all the way bullish, but I would say at this point, encouraging last four starts, yeah? Well, that's where I'm a little nervous because this was the first hot weather day for him where he's pitched yeah. and it's been legitimately warm outside and he gave up the three homers. Mm-hmm. He'd given up one in his seven starts before that. But look, I mean, he gave up more hits than any pitcher in the league in 2020. He gave up more earned runs than anybody in the league last year. Right now, he leads the league in earned runs allowed again with 27 through his eight starts. But he's also one of like five guys who's pitched eight innings. He's one of the leaders probably, I would imagine, in terms of how often he's thrown so far, you know, close to 40 innings, um, which, you know, he doesn't go as deep as aces do into games, but he's you know, in the top quarter of the league or so in innings thrown. So I'm not as concerned about him so far leading in earned runs. But I just think he is settled into a place where hopefully he can now be treated as a back-of-the-rotation starter. Yeah. Now, if they spent correctly, like I'd like them to, and they actually went out and acquired a starting pitcher, they traded for another middle-of-the-rotation starter, the types of moves over the years Rizzo has made when he's had the ability to do so financially, then all of a sudden you have Josiah Gray and you have uh, a rotation a year from now with like him and Cavalli and say two veterans that they brought in here and Corbin's your fifth starter. I'm leaving Strasburg out because I have no idea what's going on with him. And yeah, we need to talk about that. We'll talk about him in a second. But at that point, like that's a rotation I can figure out. I can get behind. Like Corbin as a fifth starter, good enough to go six innings, two runs, any time out. Probably not going to. Probably going to go five innings, five runs a lot. I can deal with that. The problem is when the dude starts on opening day. When he's supposed to be, for lack of a better term, he's not an ace, but the ace of your staff. And Gray has been better, and Fetty is, while inconsistent, had moments where maybe he's a guy in a big spot you'd rather start than Patrick Corbin. So let's say he's been their number three starter ahead of Yohan Adone, way inconsistent, and whoever their fifth guy is, Sanchez Josh Rogers, Rogers or yeah. Aaron Sanchez or whatever. But right now, I think you know he's at least settling into, I can write his name down and not expect it to be embarrassing for him, which for a while it was kind of cringy. It was like, I feel bad for this guy. Every fifth day he's got to go out there, stand all alone in the mound, get rocked, and then come back knowing he's going to do it again in five days. Like That is a lonely feeling. Conversation you and I were having a month ago was, can you keep trotting this dude out there every fifth day and still claim that you're trying to do all the right things as an organization? And let me say this. I don't think I told you this. So we were talking about this on the air at one point, and I got a text from someone who's in the Nats front office. And they said, hey, I'm, I'm not trying to gas you up or tell you that Patrick Corbin is you know, making the all-star team. But they said, look at some of these peripherals. He's been a lot better than his numbers would show this year. And at that time, they were talking about fielding independent pitching, which is like the, the part of the ERA you control, not mm-hmm. the defense behind you. And he's had terrible defense behind him. So That is true, by just, the way. It's, it's astounding the number of errors in his starts. Under... Yeah, his watch, right? Mm-hmm. So right now, this second, his ERA is 6.2. His FIP is 4.2. Just two runs difference That's casually. That's a pretty major thing, yeah. If he had a 4.2 ERA, the conversation about him is really, really different. He'd be leading the team, and we'd be doing spin kicks at this point. So, yeah, 
I guess here's what the parallel reminds me of. In 2012, Gio was sort of by default your number two because Steven Strasburg was all about him, but Gio's the guy that was going to get the ball to start game one of the playoffs and then start game five as well. He was your 20-game winner. He was your Cy Young candidate. The Gio a few years later was not that guy. He was you know, a guy that was going to frustrate you, walk the yard, you know, you know, hang by the edge of a rope and uh, you know, or, or on a tightrope rather, and throw change-ups and sliders and all sorts of things and barely get out of innings or go five innings with you know 130 pitches. He, but he's still a major league serviceable starter, right? Towards the end of the rotation. If you think of him as your number two, you're going to be dramatically disappointed. If we get that kind of deal from Corbin over the next couple of seasons, I'll ultimately ultimately say, hey, it was a success. This was just kind of paying the tax. But we got to talk about Strasburg. Because when you mention your future plan, I think everybody did the exact same thing. You go, okay, I could see that with Cavalli, maybe Cole Henry. And he comes up and he's real. One veteran starter, et cetera. The big thing hanging over this organization, and it's something I want asked about every single day because it's kind of unbelievable that we're here at this point where the updates about Steven Strasburg are so few and far between, they're so minimal, and it still seems he's weeks and weeks and weeks at best away from coming and pitching in the major leagues when the story in spring training was he'll just need a couple extra weeks to have his normal routine. There's nothing normal about him throwing two innings of batting practice, basically, down at extended spring training, and then we'll see how he feels in a couple days. That's not imminent. That's not May. That's maybe end of June? Question mark? I mean, what is going on with Strasburg? So Matt Wyrick of NBC Sports Washington was on Grant and Danny, which is the daily show we do on 106.7 The Fan. Today, we're recording this on Monday, May 16th. And he suggested that Strauss could be in line for the beginning of June, I think is what he said, You know, based on the timelines he and Joe Ross are on. Or sometime early in June. I'm pretty sure that paraphrasing what he said, not putting words in his mouth. I don't see that at all. Me neither. Here's where we're at. I blame the lack of candor and just not being forthright Strasburg kind of got the ball rolling in a way that set him up for failure in terms of the perception from fans and the media on this recovery. And the team is always so private, so vague. They try to give as little information as possible on these injuries as if they're like Mike Shanahan on a Thursday ahead of a Sunday game. They don't want to know, you know, they don't want the defense to know who's in the backfield. I don't get why. I don't, you think it's easier to beat. The, the Astros this week, if they don't know that Steven Strasburg is rehabbing at, at X amount of innings, I, I, don't, I don't know what the, the thought process is. But the timeline here is thus, and you tell me if, if any of this is wrong. Remember at the beginning of spring training, Strasburg, I think it was him specifically, was quoted as saying, I'm not going to get my body up to speed faster than I normally do because of the lockout. I'm paraphrasing. He said, "Yeah, we can't no, rush this. It's, okay, it's their fault that we were locked out. I'm going to do my thing, mm-hmm. and if I'm not ready for opening day because I need an extra week, because that's what it was. It was a week or week and a half shorter than normal. Mm-hmm. I got to do my normal program, and so that makes you think. If you're a Nats fan, reasonably, I'd say, okay, so two weeks after the start of the season, maybe the second trip through the rotation or third trip through the rotation at worst, Strauss will be ready." That's a reasonable thing to think after he says, "Correct, I'm not speeding up an extra week to be ready for opening day. I need that week to get ready. We went from that to this weird Davey Martinez press conference at one point where he said to the media, hey, after talking to Strauss, we're going to take this slowly and we're going to bring him along at a really methodical pace, essentially. And I'm filling in my own words to 
Yeah. He wasn't even that candid, but that was kind of the takeaway was he had some conversation with Strasburg. In March, he basically said, I'm now going to bring him along slowly, meaning Strauss didn't want to push it. Strauss didn't want to overdo it, which I understand. It's his body. He doesn't want to break down, whatever. But this he's going to make 20 to 25 starts comment. Mm-hmm. If he was going to make 25 starts, he'd be in the rotation this week. That's tonight. Just to get to 25, he needed to be pitching this week. Corbin has made eight. Yeah. We're going through the rotation now for what is basically the eighth time. You make roughly 32, 33, maybe 34 starts max in Mm -hmm. a season. You would need to be in the rotation now to make 25 starts. That's not happening. Mm -hmm. That's the high end of the Davy claim. You know what he did this weekend? Supposedly, according to Mark Zuckerman of Mass and Sports, I think had this. He threw two simulated innings in Florida. So he's now throwing two innings to live batters simulated. He needs to to be throwing six innings of sim batters, 90 to 100 pitches. Then in games, rehabbing multiple times over. Probably one of them, you know, getting up to speed throwing every fifth day two or three times in the minors. We're weeks away from seeing him. And and here's... Here's where I, I come in. You, you kind of paint this in a way where they where you you think they're keeping it close to the vest or trying to stay private. I think that's always been a huge part of it in a frustration. Well, it, it annoys for me. Yeah, for me, I, I don't. I, I think it's mistakes. I think it's misevaluation I, I, in, in a lot of cases. Now I'm sure there's some where it's where it is trying to keep it close to the vest, and I think it's some kind of combination therein. But to me, the worst thing that can happen, regardless of where this falls out, is an expectation that isn't met. We're just sitting here waiting for information. We're just waiting for the nugget. We're waiting for the for the info. If David Martinez, Mike Rizzo, Steven Strasburg, whoever, whatever, basically go, hey, July is our target. And we're not in July yet. Nobody's pissed off. Right? If, if they said we need to take this slow because the track record of this injury is not very good, this surgery, we have not had guys bounce back, our best medical practice here is to take this incredibly slowly, try to build them up, not rush him back, we've got him for five more seasons, we need to make damn sure that he is ready to go and he is Steven Strasburg again. Because we're not going anywhere without that $35 million for the next five years on our payroll doing what he's paid to do. Nobody's mad right now, I don't think. But because it's, I need two extra weeks. And here we are, eight turns of the rotation through, basically eight weeks into this thing, rapidly approaching to June, and he ain't close. That's when people like me and you and I think a lot of fans get really frustrated by that, right? Well, the, the, to me, there's nothing worse. I, I'm sorry to cut you off. The, to me, there's nothing worse you can do to a fan base and people that follow your team closely than to set an expectation and not meet it. I, I think that's always just the worst thing to do, and they seem to do that with injuries an awful lot. This is what they've done for years with yes. injuries, and they do so many things well, and I give them credit for all those 100%. things. 100%. I think they're one of the best-run organizations, not only in D.C., but in baseball and some of the things that they do. But one of the things that they do poorly is injuries and returning players to health and keeping them healthy, and on top of that, just disseminating injury information. If a guy gets hurt in-game, you can just bet on it that you're getting nothing during that game as to what was going on. Uh, Specific to Strasburg right now, though, to your point, don't tell me, and this is Strasburg more than the team, Uh but when he came out and did the, like, I need that week basically to be ready, that makes you think we're seeing this guy in early April. Yes. That sets you up for failure from a fan standpoint. Fans expect something that then doesn't happen. So even if all along he knew and the team knew, He's not pitching in April. He's not pitching in May. He might not pitch in early to mid-June. 
let's say, hypothetically, just say that. Yeah. Because when the fans get angry, they start asking the media. The media's job as a conduit to the fans and the team is to then ask those questions. It's a pain in the ass for the ball club. So I don't understand why even, let's say, selfishly from their own perspective, Mm -hmm. they want to deal with it. Because you'll get a column from somebody who's going to, you know, bash, like the Where is Steven Strasburg column. You'll get radio segments from us. And by and large, they don't care about that stuff. But it's unnecessary. There's going to be enough times where you're going to deal with stuff. It's aggravation that they don't need. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I just, I don't understand why they've been so vague on this. And if... If they just came out and said, he's going to be back, hopefully, right before the All-Star break, or, you know, let's revisit this again in June. We're, we're, we're bringing him around mm-hmm. slowly. We need to make sure when he comes back, he doesn't miss another start. Let's talk about this again in June and see where he's at. Then at least it buys them two months. It gets everyone thinking on the timeline of, okay, this is a longer-term thing. The way they did it was not that. And Davey said potentially 25 starts after Strauss made yeah. it seem like, he might miss a trip or two through the rotation initially. So the 25 starts then has me thinking, all right, if this works out well, he's going to be pitching in mid-May. Well, here we are. It's May 16th, dude. He is nowhere near pitching. And here's a- another point. And, and listen, the-, the baseball ops folks have to worry about you know fielding the best team, figuring out who the who the best players are and how they can acquire them and develop them. By the so way, on. it did sound like, because that Davey comment I referenced was from a Jesse Doherty story uh-huh. in the Washington Post where he, he said, I just talked to Strauss. We're going to take this slow. It kind of sounded like what he was saying was, this is what Strasburg wants to do. Mm-hmm. Not like this was our plan. But, hey, this is how we're going to go about this. This was post-conversation with Strauss. So I wonder how much of it is maybe he's nervous or who knows. But they're just trying to do right by the player. Yeah, where he's like, I don't feel right. Like, the, you know, that my velocity isn't there. or doesn't feel a certain way. I, I get that. But, again, it's, it's the, the expectation not being met, I think, is frustrating. But I'd also add this. And I'm not encouraging Strasburg to come back before he's ready. I'm not saying that teams should rush him or anything else because, again, this is a big-picture thing. This is a, this is with Steven Strasburg, it's a last-place or second-to-last-place team. Without him, it's kind of the same. I'm not saying anything in terms of, of, of rushing, okay? But I am saying this. there's You need reasons right now, if you're the Nationals, for folks to want to tune in. Right, Juan Soto is a reason. Josiah Gravy fifth day is a reason. If you're a nerd, you like watching Kiba Ruiz, you know, frame pitches up and 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 catch and throw better than a lot of people maybe thought he could, and take some good abs. You're watching Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz try to tear the cover off the ball, so hopefully they're you know trading they're traded for more good prospects, or maybe even God forbid you sign Josh Bell. But you see where I'm going here, right? Does Victor Robles finally get it at some point, despite you know with with his seven times over revamp swing or his new hand position or his new chef or the new diet or whatever that he started? You need reasons for people to want. Want to come to the ballpark and be excited. What better than the return and the excitement of, you know, World Series hero, the MVP, number 37, the guy that we've paid the, two different times, by the way, with, with an opt-out that led us to the second long-term contract. The huge deal, Steven Strasburg, the the sort of the face of the Washington Nationals baseball uh, you know, for so many years, right? Finding a way to get him back and and setting kind of a target, I think, is is a great way to get fans excited in a season right now that's not terribly exciting. And again, I'm not saying rush anything or, or otherwise, but fans don't like being let down. If it's, hey, he's we're looking at July, then we have something to look forward to in July. Right now, what are we looking forward to? Right now, we're, we're hoping for a report that he felt fine the next day after he threw to some hitters. For an inning or two, or he got up and threw 20 pitches, but the the icy hot wasn't too hot, and the wind wasn't blowing, and the mound was the right shape, and you know he had his uh, vitamins that day. Like nobody knows anything, and I think that's frustrating for a lot of people. 
Yeah, totally is. Uh, I wanted to shout someone out real quick. I ended up walking over to the ballpark on Sunday to the Astros-Nats game. Wanted to go see Justin Verlander and get a look-see at Patrick Corbin as well. And I brought my family. In fact, I, I dropped them off at uh, – we did Nats Mass. Mm-hmm. So there's a church like two blocks oh, away it's right there. Yeah, yeah. from the ballpark. On South Capitol. Absolutely, right on South Cap. And they do a thing called Nats Mass before the uh, the game where they – it's like a speed mass. Mm-hmm. In the, 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 the priest even like – he's like, I'll be I'll get you out of here and don't you worry. And like he did a five-minute homily. Oh, it's kind fantastic. Of Everyone's in Nats gear, you know. So anyway, so I dropped them off and I had to go park the car and I'm going to meet them. But I ended up talking with this family that was walking in and the dad actually listens to the podcast. So hello to him. But he had two sons with him. He had his daughter as well. And these two kids were probably – if I had to guess, like six or seven, and then like twelve or thirteen or something, and they were marks for the Nationals. Like these Love two it. kids were so sharp, they they could be in the booth tomorrow and like break down the team in the game. I was so impressed. So I just wanted to say, baseball's alive and well in DC. But they were asking me about deep cut players in the system. They're like, "Where's Rowdy Reed at?" <laughs> it was like the catcher who got popped for PEDs yeah. like a couple years ago. And they're like, "Where's Jackson Reitz?" who's a catching prospect, who's no longer in the organization, who I had to look up was with the Biloxi Shuckers, who's in uh, the, the Brewers AA affiliate, hitting like 300. But, I mean, these kids, they're going to go to Fredericksburg. They're telling me about how excited they are for Brady House, and they're asking who's on the Wilmington roster and you know who should I look for on the Senators this year. So was, I was just super impressed. I wanted to shout them out and say uh, that uh, that was fun to meet Very them. Very cool. But they were asking about the, the draft this year. And so the draft is going to take place. I, I'm going to be on site. It'll be in L.A. again, um, second year in a row they're doing this, on the weekend of the All-Star Festivity. So they have the Futures game for the prospects, which is cool. Last year I got to watch Cade Cavalli touch 103 times uh, in the ballpark out at Coors in Denver. This year in Los Angeles, Chavez Ravine Dodger Stadium, uh, they're going to have the Futures game. But before that, the day before they're going to do the Major League Baseball draft, the Nats, for the first time in forever, Danny, because they were so bad last year, are picking fifth. And so it's going to be nice for them to be in the top five because you have a chance to add an elite-level prospect. It's not like you can't get great players in the 20s. The Dodgers find a way to do it all the time. But it is a lot harder. And so they struck gold with Cade Cavalli, it seems like, out of Oklahoma in the early 20s. They've obviously hit on some players back into the first round. But they've, you know, Carter Keyboom in the, in the late 20s. Like, there are guys that they've missed yeah, on as well. Yeah, it's a lot more Eric Fetty than it is, uh, I don't know, Alex Bregman. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know? yeah, who went second overall out of uh, LSU. But I bring up the draft because they pick fifth. I've been talking on my MLB show to a lot of the prospects who could be going in the top five. And uh, there's some names being linked to them in mock drafts here recently. Uh, Brooks Lee, shortstop, whose dad coaches him at Cal Poly, probably going ahead of Washington. Could be the pick if he's there, but I'm thinking maybe two to the Diamondbacks or three to Texas. One guy that's mocked to them a lot right now with local ties, which would be really cool, is James Madison University outfielder. Chase the law. This kid can swing it, man. It's a beautiful left-handed swing. He has huge power. I don't think the hit tool is necessarily there in terms of like being a big-time batting average guy. He can hit in college, obviously, and he'll hit plenty at the big league level. But it's it's a big-time power profile, corner outfielder, 6'4", 230. So I, I could see them drafting either him or another college bat. I'll say that where they're drafting – College arms are not going to be really coming off the board in the middle of the top 10 this year. Not a great pitching year, right, up at the top? Not even a little bit. A lot of injuries. A lot of guys have missed the season. I mean, there might be no college arms in the top 10 at all this year. Crazy. Which would be stunning. So you could go high school athlete, but I get the sense they want to add a a prospect to this system that can move quickly with a little bit less risk. And they went the high school bat way with Brady House last year. Mm -hmm. So it might make some sense to kind of layer somebody that could 
get there at the same time as him a couple of years from now, House could graduate in like 24 and maybe the college bat you draft this year, whether that's, you know, Brooksley. My favorite hitter in the country is a guy named Jacob Berry from LSU, but I don't think he has a defensive position. He's basically a DH. Plays hitter. He's the best bat in the nation. He's at LSU. He transferred from Arizona. But yeah, he... I'm not sure what defensive position he'll play at an average level in the big leagues. But they draft fifth this year. Big opportunity for them. We'll be talking a lot about the draft as we get closer. We're still not quite, but about two months away at this point. Yeah, and guys will rise and fall. You'll have you know national showcases, whether that's College World Series or regionals or plenty of opportunities for scouts to you know get eyeballs on some of these guys. And there's some gaudy stats being put up in college baseball this year. There was a um, you know kind of a, a, a short period, I would say, where you know they changed the bats from my era certainly for safety purposes, and they perform more like wood. And now they're kind of eking back towards some of the the big Were pop pre BB core. Yeah. So okay. our our stuff was dangerous, man. They were the minus fives and and you know you get jam shot, you hit one three seventy, but it's different now, right? And and you're starting to see some of these guys adjust and some of the trickle downs. It's like anything with the NFL, college sports, and, and otherwise. You're starting to see some of the philosophies take hold, where some of these dudes are hitting nukes, and you've got a bunch of guys in the high teens and twenty homers through you know thirty five or forty team games. It's been, been pretty exciting, but there are plenty of bats. It seems like in this year's draft. All right, we told you we'd have Kevin Franzen on today. He is the brand-new color commentator in his first year with the team, working alongside Bob Carpenter for Masson, longtime friend of ours. So let's get to it. The really good-looking and really poofy-haired Kevin Franzen on Bustin' Loose Baseball. See you later! And we're joined now by Kevin Franzen, who is the color commentator on Masson, game in and game out for the Washington Nationals in year one. Franny, thanks for hopping on the pod with us. How are you, buddy? Well, you know, I'm just catching the rays here in Miami Beach. Uh, just, you know, I got margaritas and pina coladas in hand. No, I'm kidding. I'm good. You guys good? Always good, man. Uh, you're you're really good at this, dude. And, and I'm not saying it because we've always liked you and you're on with us. No, it's just because I'm on right now. Yeah. But that's part of it. No, but seriously, man, <laughs> you're really good at this. When did you know that you could do it at a high level in, in terms of taking your playing career, which was so successful for basically a decade in the show, finding a way to turn yourself into a really good broadcaster? And I, I know you work at it because you work at everything you do. When did you kind of know you could do it? Honestly, I, I still don't know I could do it because I, I just – the way I look at it is this is my passion. Like I was always passionate about baseball. So why should it be any different than my everyday life as far as the way I looked at it? So that's the way, I mean, it's not like a, I don't know if it's work, right? Like when you, when you, when you get down to it, because for me, um, I'm just being myself. And that is the ultimate when I think when you're a broadcaster, if you could be yourself the most, uh, you're going to be honest, you're going to be passionate. You're going to be, um, energetic, you're going to do all that stuff. So I don't know. I saw. I, I feel like I guess I still got so much work to do when it comes to it. But I don't have work to do because it's it just me. If that makes sense. <laughs> you were a Philly, and you broadcasted there. You were a Nat, and you broadcasted here. And for years in that booth, I'd imagine there's like a, you know, there's a feeling like you're one of the guys. You you want them to succeed. Now you come here, and and it's the same kind of thing for the Nats. How difficult has that transition been? How weird has it been for you? Obviously, they haven't played the Phils yet. But I'm just curious. Like, FP, when he came here, he was not a Nats guy, really. And then he was kind of like Mr. National. Years later, it was just kind of part of the fabric. You can't fake that. That doesn't happen overnight. So, like, how, how has that transition gone? And 
Just take me inside that mindset a little bit. Um, it's getting better. Uh, you know, not being allowed to go down to, to spring training and meet the guys there, I think that was that was tough um, because we weren't traveling at the time and, and not meeting the guys. And so you put you kind of get put in a, a little bit of a shell. Um, with that being said, you know, my, my time with the Phillies, like I, I, I'm so close to so many of those guys over there. I'm not going to – that's not going to change. Uh, people want a rivalry from me. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had too many close relationships over there. Uh, player side, coaching side, uh, obviously the broadcasting side. Um, but, you know, you reverse it and you, you go to the national side. And, you know, there's certain people here that I've known for quite a while. And so it's very easy to um, be comfortable around them. Uh, but with the players, I think it's still like it's still that burdening. It, it's still that burden on me that uh, I don't know them yet. I don't have the full on passion yet for each individual because I don't know each individual. Um, and that is the God's honest truth. Like I, it, it gives me anxiety not knowing the guys, you know, like when in, in spring training, that's where you meet all of them. And, you know, again, not being able to be down there and, and meet them and be around them, talk to them. I think that that hurt. Um, but at the same time, I'm making up for lost time right now. Uh, just trying to make sure that, uh, I'm very honest on air. I'm not, I, you know, for those national, national fans that want me to be a Homer, I'm not Homer. Can't do it. I, I just, I, I gotta be honest. And if someone's not playing well, you gotta say it. Uh, I think that that's probably the difference between, um, you know, a lot of the, the home broadcasters and myself, I learned in Philly. Uh, and if you're not honest, uh, you're a fake. <laughs> and I feel like that's what I'm bringing here. So there's a million ways to scratch the itch, right? I mean, you mentioned your passion for the game. That's obvious that it, that it comes through. It comes through both in the fact that with your with your playing career and now talking about the game. But some guys manifest that in different ways when it comes to teaching the game, for example. I know you coached uh, some ball a little bit as well. Was that ever something that you thought you might want to do? I mean, just you know, grinding it out in Mobile, Alabama with a giant no. tennis skull in and, and watching every <laughs> A-B? Like, was that ever on the on the table? You, you didn't want to? Yeah, uh, not really. Uh, if I did, I would manage, but that would be about it. Um, both my parents, grow, you know, growing up, they were, they were coaches and teachers. Teachers, coaches, however you want to describe it. But uh, my dad, a basketball coach my entire life, loved every bit of watching him do what he was passionate about. Um, and, but I just saw just how, how much the grind, you know, it, it hurt on him. Uh, and it's such a different world in the professional world, right? Uh, I got, a, you know, a few offers to be a, a, a college head coach and, and turn those down because uh, I just didn't want to do the recruiting part. I just don't want to lie to kids because I feel like that's what you have to do to the, these days to get them to come to your school. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a little bit of me pulled me that way, but at the end of the day, like, I wanted to talk about it. Like, we're in a world right now, like, of baseball where there's so many – there's no in-between, right? There's either, man, this game's completely changed, or, man, this is the greatest game ever. And it's like, sometimes you just need the middle and to be able to mend it, you know? Like, we talk about with the analytics and, and the old-school thought process. Like, can you mend it? Can you blend it together? Um, that's my goal because I, I enjoy the old-school way. Um, I don't enjoy all of it, but I also enjoy some of the analytical stuff because it's all, all analytics are is information, right? Or facts. And so now that, that it's like, okay, this is, this is just kind of where I want to go. So when it comes down to it, I, did I want to coach manage or all this stuff? Like, yeah, but not like I wasn't, I wouldn't be two feet in on it. 
And for this, this is easy to do because it's just talking about your passion every day. And, you know, it, I, I think that just it just makes it an easy transition or an easy choice. When you mentioned weighted runs created plus in, like, your fourth broadcast, I said, me and Fran, you're going to be yeah. all right. We're, we're, yeah. we're going to be guys. Right, we're I, in. I already knew we and, were going to be got, guys, but then I really, really knew it. I, I want to go. You just got to ease it in. Yeah, you exactly. You got to ease it in, though. But, you know, but especially, right honestly, I mean, and I'm not doing a bit, and I'm not knocking anybody. Like, you and FP are tight. Me, I got, we got great relationships with him. And I just mean, in general, you know, Bob's all timer, Hall of Fame, just best the guy there is. But, like, that's the first time that's been mentioned on a broadcast in this town, probably. And I, yeah. I think it's time. I mean, I think it's a good thing, but you got to do it right. You know, you, like to your point, you can't bang people over the head with it. When you introduce it, you got to explain it. And I just think the the smarter the fan base is, the better. And, and there's a way to to educate that I know that you're going to be able to provide. And the fact that it comes from you, who played, instead of me, who's a numbers nerd who everyone just calls a fat silly goose because I didn't play in the big leagues, is probably beneficial. No, no, because I, I again. The way I look at baseball is so different than you, and so different than Danny, and Danny looks at it different than you, and no one looks at the game the same way, right? So when you say it like that, it's like, no, why are you disparaging yourself? Because that's the way you look at it. That's the way you talk about it. So why, why, is, that, why is that wrong? Well, I just think I'm with you no, a little no, no, bit. No, but, 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 that, but that's in general. That's just in general. Yeah. Everybody's like that. Yeah. And so the way I look at it is like, dude, I'm not, I'm not trying to preach – like, this is the only way, this is the only thing. But there are certain stats, like the, the WRC Plus, or, or you can go to OPS Plus and, and make it even a bigger, you know, bigger deal because it's, it, it, it's such there's, – there's so – if you go back in time and you look at it, like all the defining parts of it, that just adding that plus sign, it makes all those course field guys into a very, you know, logical um, – spot we are today right as far as what the ballparks are because it all takes into fact of the park that you the park factor um you know like Nolan Arenado I love and I consider just an unbelievable player but I mean there's certain years where you're like very heavy hitting at, at Coors Field so guess what on that plus side he's only 32 you know percent better than league average which is insane but it's not the Juan Soto of like 180 or 190 right, right? And, and so like I think when, like, you talk about WRC Plus and it's like, you know, the, the way it runs created, everything has a value on it. It's like, whatever. You could explain it all you want. All I know is that when you go to Anaheim and you had a guy that was 150 points and a guy that was 140 points higher than league average, that needs to be talked about. Like, that's insane. Taylor Ward and Mike Trout. Well, I and also think, Franny, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I was talking that you and I are on Sirius XM, uh, sometimes together, a lot of times on different shows, on MLB Network Radio, and I was talking this week about the slow start to the year for a lot of these stars. And and yeah. you just made me think about this. I think that the most important way to quantify these slow starts is against what's happening in baseball right now. Yes. So exactly. like I heard someone Yeah, right. yeah. So but like someone looks at like Soto in twenty twenty one or Soto in twenty twenty two through X amount of games or you could pick anybody and they're like, look at what Shoei Otani's doing compared to last year. It was a different sport last year, literally. I mean, the yes. baseball was yes. different. The weather was a little different. And if you look at Soto right now compared to last year, and, and, and it's it's a whole different world than if you look at Soto compared to the rest of the league where he's still in the top 10 and the top 15 in, like, almost every category. So I think that's something we lose a little bit. But Soto isn't that different from last year's beginning. 
Well, yeah, he's you probably know? not right, the right. best example, but everyone acts like no, he's no, no, down. No, 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 but like, but this is the craziest thing. Is like I, I was having this conversation with someone uh, two days ago, and I was saying they're like, "Well, you know, what's what's the problem with Juan Soto?" I'm like, "What's the problem with Juan Soto?" I'm like, "Damn, to struggle and have like a, a 900 OPS, <laughs> that would be awesome." Can you imagine that? Seriously though, like take it in the in the context of the whole thing. Like he is technically struggling, and he's got a 900 OPS. That's ridiculous, you know. And then you look at what he is above league average and on you know weighted runs created plus, and you're like, dude, he's like 50 points higher than everybody, you know, like or or than than league average. You know what is it? 684 is the the league average OPS right now, and he's at 900. Come on, really? I mean that's that's the, the craziest thing. The, the, now the, there there are certain things that you look at that you're going whoa whoa. His you know what two or three you know a couple hits that he has with runners in scoring position. He's only like two for twenty five, two for twenty six. Great. He's over four with bases loaded. Um, that's the part that's that, that that's concerning when you like dig you know deep into it. What were we looking but at last overall, week? Overall, I think his chase rate was a hundredth percentile like the last couple of years, and it's ninetieth now. And everyone's like, man, he's chasing a lot. It's like he chases less than all but like 10 out of every 100 right, players. It's his impossible oh, dude, standard. It's so exactly. It's so good. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the part. That's the part like it, it, where you could take all the numbers out and all that stuff and just like this is what I would tell people and just be, be in general. Just enjoy it. Don't take it for granted what you're saying. You know, don't dig too deep with him because he's going to do what he's going to do. Um, I got I got blasted a couple of years ago in, in in the Bay Area because I told fans you know because every every loss they had with Kevin Durant and Steph it was like oh my God this is the end of the world it's like guys seriously don't ever take this this team this time frame that we're in for granted enjoy it don't dissect it right because the moment you dissect it you you take something for granted truly and I feel like the moment you dissect like Juan Soto and that's our job to do I get it but. You're going to take it for granted. The dude's special. Every name you put up there is like a Hall of Famer that you're like, wait, not Roger, but Rogers, Hornsby, Jimmy Fox, Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, and you're going like, what the hell are we? What are we doing? What are we doing? Like he just sit back and relax and enjoy it, and that's the beauty of that guy, right? And the fact that he's chasing more than ever, and it's like it's like every year combined in my life is what I got. I was like probably like five percentile in that, and he was like ninety. It's like trying to trying to get up to him. It's uh, it, it's insane. So this is a big old sweaty preamble coming at you for the, for this question. All right, so bear with me. Okay. So I, I think it was maybe like a couple years ago. I, I remember this back and forth you had on, on the Twitterverse with some like. You know, uh, never played beyond high school, but like I'm an analytic guy, almost like conning kids and parents out of a huge amount of money, like some hitting guru that's basically like, yeah, chicken wing yeah. your front arm and, you know, make it like, like a water wheel type of thing. And you're like, yeah, that's, 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 I guarantee that's how big leaguers do it. That's how Barry Bonds did it, I'm sure. <laughs> like the exact opposite, right? And this guy's like arguing with this te- like decade long big leaguer about like mechanics and stuff. And it got me to thinking. A lot has changed. Like, paradigms have shifted. And speaking of the shift mm-hmm. or, or the way guys are pitching in the zone, like, okay, now you're throwing high fastballs. You and me growing up, it was like anything above the thigh was like a death sentence. Like, pitching coaches would lose their mind. <laughs> so everything is – a lot of things have changed. A lot of things are, are, are sort of different. What's true still for you? The way you were raised in the game, the way you see the game now, what is a universal truth that you still feel like, hey, this still applies no matter the age, no matter what? Ooh. God, that's a great question. Um, 
Well, pitching and defense still all, will always matter, <laughs> no matter what. Uh, but when it comes to hitting, uh, short to it, long through, it's always going to be there. Um, you look at everybody, the, the thought process of staying on top of the baseball uh, doesn't mean that you're actually going to stay on top of the baseball, but it is a, a uh, part, of the pro- part, of the, part of the deal. Um, those will always be truths in this game. And the reason why I say that is they're, they're, these hitting gurus, they think that what Mike Trout does, what Juan Soto does, what Barry Bonds did, um, they could teach it. And they say, you, if you can't see it, you can't teach it and you don't know it. It's like, whatever. What they teach is all physical. The biggest thing in baseball is always going to be mental. And what you're able to um, compartmentalize when you hit, um, when you you know study a scouting report, what, what can you what can you decipher with all that stuff? Um, and you know Barry Bonds might not have been uh, actually trying to get on top of the baseball when it came down to it, but his mentality was that, and I feel like the mentality part is trying to be stripped away from it, and when you go all to the physical nature of hitting, you're going to create nothing but problems for kids. We don't teach enough in general about how to actually control a barrel. You know, we don't teach enough how to fight at the, in the batter's box. And I'm not talking about physical fight, but like having contingency plans when something is awry. Like everyone talks about like this A swing stuff, right? Like this is kind of going into what you're asking. You know, everyone, get off your A-swing, every pitch. Get off your A-swing. Well, what happens when you don't see the guy? What happens when you don't actually pick up that pitcher well? What are you supposed to do? Get off the A-swing for what? You know, no one talks about that, that, that B and C plan that you have to have. I truly believe that we learn playing strikeout. Like, I, I was insane when it came to contact because I, I grew up three, you know, three years younger than my brother and all his buddies playing strikeout with them. And I had to have a contingency plan, man. When you get in the box, you had to find a way to like, you know, put the ball in play or, or, or try to hit a, you know, hit a bomb that way against them. So when it comes to truce and, and all that stuff, the mental part, the mental side of the game, as far as hitting is still so much. I mean, I don't even know what the number is on it. You know, it's percentages. It's still so high though. And I think with those hitting gurus, those internet guys that, you know, that, that want to fight back and say that all, you know, all, big leaguers or all guys that played pro ball or whatever, they don't know crap from what it is. Like, yes, we do, because we've had to grind it through. We've had to do maybe what you've done in your life as far as a job and grinding your mind, but that, that was our life. <laughs> you know, trying to perfect something that you know you're not going to perfect. But, um, yeah, it just uh, – that, that part has never changed to me, is the mental side. And the, the fact that the physical is being taught way more – uh, in, in putting them in poor spots, I think, I think parents are really doing them, their kids a disservice when it comes to that. Brandy, I want to go back to something you said to round things out here because it's something that I definitely agree with, and it's, it's a stylistic thing, right? Everyone does it a little mm-hmm. bit different. But you talked about uh, not wanting to be a homer and that mm-hmm. it's important to you if you basically you see something, say something, right, I, for lack of a better yeah. phrase. <laughs> Good slogan. I'll write that down. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Uh, it resonates with me. Obviously, some people want their homer on their call, whatever. But just go more into your philosophy on that, how you crafted that, and kind of how 
that shows itself because it's only more natural, right? The longer you're here, 10, yeah. 12 years from now, you know, it's going to get you're you're in deeper and deeper with with the ball club, I suppose. But just kind of go through that thought process. Well, I think a little bit of it is is doing the you know MLB Network radio stuff and being you know a, what we would quote unquote call national guy, right? When it comes to that, um, and I feel like if I if I become so in, like ingrained in, in defending everything the Nationals do, then I lose sight of what's going on in Major League Baseball. Uh, so it's kind of like a it's it's kind of selfish at, at the same time of of my mentality, but it, I, it's not because I look at baseball in a way that that makes sense for me, right? And if I'm there to uh, defend every mental mistake and you know all this stuff, then I'm just lying to myself because I mean I've made so many mistakes in my career, but at the same time I've learned from those mistakes. I could talk about them. So why not? And I feel like we do that. We we get in such a homer way uh, on the analyst side that you just don't you don't really you're not truthful. People don't really learn from what you're you're saying if you're constantly defending. So that's why you're not going to hear me like completely bash the other team. You're going to hear a lot about the other team because I feel like uh, I'm also an ambassador of the game, right? As far as talking about it, and when they come, you know, like the Astros come into town. And we can't talk about Jordan Alvarez? Are you kidding me? That dude's insane. Jose Altuve, the guy's a, a, one of the most incredible hitters that we've had in our time. And we can't, like, we got we to gotta continue our way. So I, if guys on a team don't like it, they can take it up with me. They can take it up with me. I'll, I'll let them do that with it, whatever they want. Um, I don't care. I really don't. I, again, I grew up, you know, in the Bay Area. There's a certain way with Kruten Kite, but I grew up, in the broadcasting world calling baseball games in Philadelphia where if I was not honest about what I saw and what I truly felt, people called you out on it and it, and they knew that you weren't being real. Um, and I don't like, I, I don't like people thinking that I'm not real with them. So I'm just going to say it how it is. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. And if the players don't like it, they can come talk to me because I'm going to be down there on the field every day. Um, but at the same time, I'm be ready to go because I'm going to defend myself on on what I said because it's what I saw. And I'm I, not going to try to make anything up. You know this. Players don't care about that because they recognize game. Some do. Some do. Yeah. Some do. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Then you just shoot back at them like, well, you tell me what happened, and then they, okay, this is what I saw. And if you're there and you're up front, and you're able to put yourself in front of every. That's why, like. Getting the job and, and not being in spring training like gave me the biggest anxiety ever is because you're talking about these guys now and you've never met them, you know? And so I, I just, again, knowing that I, I'm going to be honest, like they're not going to like everything that you say. That's fine. It's fine. They don't have to. But, again, I see the game in the way I see it. doesn't mean that it, it is, you know, the, the end-all be-all with me. So, I, again, some players don't like it. Some players don't even care. Some players don't hear um, at the end of the day, I'm going to show respect to them because, I mean, they're unbelievable. This, this, this group, this crop of players that we have, this generation of players we have, is insanely talented. And so that needs to be brought up as well. And it's going to be both sides. You're going to get it visiting at home. Love it, dude. Awesome with us, man. Continued success to you, my friend. It's been really cool to see you take to the role. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. And see your friend. hair looks really good and poofy, too, by the way. Ooh. I, yeah, you know, too poofy. Too poofy. You think so? We're in humidity. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. A little, the quaff isn't as great, you know? And Miami's not going to be kind. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help you. Trust me, it'll look delicious.
Well, I can't wait to eat it up at 640 <laughs> East time when, when I turn on my TV. I love Thanks, it. Thanks, bro. See you, bro. No problem, guys. Thank you. Dang, Zoom. Kevin Franzen's the man, isn't mensch. he? Mensch. Just a mensch. What a sweetheart. He's a good dude. All right, let's give you a stud and a dud. We'll welcome in Darius as we go round the horn here. We pick a gnat that we really like this week and someone who disappointed us a bit. Danny, why don't you get it started? Who's your stud of the week? Now, the overall numbers aren't too gaudy, but I will say Nelson Cruz, better at bats lately, starting to swing it okay, hits in seven of his last nine games. Again, the overall average is still sub-Mendoza line, but a couple homers mixed in there. He's starting to drive the ball a little bit, seems to be seeing it better. Hopefully just stops beating the ball into the ground, softly to the left side of the infield. We've seen him do that about one or 200 times, numbers approximate here through the course of the season, but starting to pick up business a little bit. Nelson Cruz Start of the week. Uh, my start of the week, I'm actually going to go a little off brand. I'm going to go with Josh Rogers. Every, he's been pulled out of the starting lineup. He's not He's not been starting for the Nats. But since he's been in the bullpen, he's been pretty decent. Uh, he made two appearances this past week. He even notched a win against Houston on Saturday. So I'm going to go with Josh Rogers as my start of the week. And if I may, Darius, and I don't know what you think about this, I kind of thought he got screwed a little bit when he didn't get to keep starting. I know he didn't pitch great, but he had the one really good start. He got like three chances and he was out. And then Sanchez, and he's been up and down as well, but he's had a much longer leash. So it wasn't like Josh Rogers got much of an opportunity. Right, I agree. And we, uh, when, when do we have him on the show? Uh, right after his pretty good start uh, early in the season. Yeah, especially. it was after his yeah. great start against Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, we had him on the show after that. And we, I remember you saying, hope you keep starting, man. <laughs> and, and here we are. He's not starting. But he got one yeah, more I, after that? <laughs> but I agree. Yeah, he definitely didn't get the opportunity I thought he should have gotten after that. Yeah, sometimes just based on how you came into the organization or you know what the plans were for you, where you drafted, how much are you getting paid, and it's not always based on just how you've been performing. But if, if he had thrown well, I, I will say the Nats probably would have kept him in the rotation. But the least certainly not as long as what Aaron Sanchez, a former Rookie of the Year candidate who had a terrific year in the American League at one point, is getting. On my stud of the week, I'll go Juan Soto. Six games this week, 22 at-bats. Just a 273 average, nothing to write home about, although averages are down all around baseball. Something to keep in mind. But he's got a 1021 OPS. He's got two homers, doubled two times, four extra base hits, starting to drive the ball a little more, walked more than he struck out, only three strikeouts this week in those six games. So he did Juan Soto things. That was a little bit more of what we're looking for. couple balls off the fence, two went over the fence. Uh, he is really close, I think, to going on a big-time tear. And so I'll say Juan Soto is my stud of the week. Duds, let's start with you, Darius. Well, I mean, when you're struggling as a team, one thing you can't do is have errors. And unfortunately, this past week, uh, my dud of the week, Michael Franco had two errors in each of the first two games of that New York Mets series. He has six errors so far on the season. He only batted 182 with five strikeouts through these uh, through this past homestand. I'm going with Michael Franco as my dud of the week. Aaron Sanchez gets my dud of the week. Now, listen, it's it's you know easy to pick on a guy that's a roster flyer that you're maybe hoping to recapture something, a, a change of scenery guy that maybe gets your organization because he showed so much promise that you touched on GP in the American League had a great season in Toronto a handful of years ago. So maybe they're trying to rejuvenate something, but I just haven't seen it. It's not striking out a ton of guys. There's not one thing where you go, hey, we can hang our hat on this. He's inducing lots of weak ground ball contact or he's missing barrels. There's nothing special really going on here. And you know, again, it's too early to write him off, but. He hasn't performed terribly well here over the last week plus. I'll go with Cesar Hernandez, who's just four for his last 21. All four of those hits were singles. And that's kind of been the theme for him this year. Even when he has been going good with his average at the plate, it's been a lot of base hits. You know, not a whole lot of power or run production from him. And and they told him, we don't need you to hit home runs. We need you to get on base. But 
No, 510 OPS this week and nothing for extra bases. A 320 on base, a, a 190 slug that's even with the batting average. Uh, I'd like to see him drive the ball just a little bit more and give you a little bit more than he did this past week at the plate, especially hitting leadoff. So with that in mind, our studs and our duds, let's get to one more stud, which is uh, someone, Darius, who said something nice about us. Who left a comment? Shout them out. What do we got? Yeah, we had a couple of great comments last week, so we thank you for those. Keep those coming. Uh, This week we got at MJ good for three, and he says, love the pod. Hmm. The baseball content that is missing from sports radio, I found here. Great job. Great interviews. But he did have a butt. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. no. What? Is it a big butt or a little butt? Uh, it, it looks like a little would butt. You, th- if this butt walked past you, would you try to take a peek at the butt or no? That's inappropriate, Grant. Uh, yeah, oh, I don't know if we can point. mention that not here. We do here. We will move that's on. not something we do. <laughs> but G&D's stance on robo-umps is currently a ways off for me. How dare but you, sir? give me time. The technology is not good enough for my liking quite yet. All right, you've had time. You have to agree with everything we say. <laughs> that's the rule. <laughs> everything. All the things. You can't just like the podcast and disagree with some of our points. Mm-mm-mm. You have to agree with all of our points. Mm-hmm. But not really. Thank you very much for listening and uh, for the nice comment. And thank all of you for listening to this particular episode number three of the podcast. We are back in just a couple of days. Most important thing to make this uh, all work is to keep spreading the word. Let your buddies know that are Nats fans. Please send them a link and uh, stick with us because we're going to try to keep growing this thing. Absolutely. Odyssey app. Apple Pods, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Bustin' Loose Baseball. There's a little apostrophe after that end. Don't forget the sky comma, as Gary Goleman likes to refer to it. So keep spreading the word. Leave us all the nice ratings and reviews and those good things. Helps us. Big, big thanks to Darius, who had to do more work than normal twice on as much. this particular podcast. I would even, dare I say, twice as much work. You guys should have heard the first version we did of this thing. It was way better. Oh, no. <laughs> but Darius, good job, as Thank always. You. We appreciate you. And thanks to Kevin Franzen for joining us. That'll do it for now. Bustin' Loose Baseball. Go Nats. We'll talk to you again on a Wednesday night.